0: This is podcast number 76, and today we're doing the third part of this series, which is the aerodynamics of corrugated flapping wings in ground effect. It's really cool. So if you haven't listened to podcast number 74 and 75, those are the first two parts of this series, and this third part will be today. And this is the final part. And we're going to be looking at this paper called Numerical Investigation on the Aerodynamic Efficiency of Bio-Inspired Corrugated and Cambered Airfoils in Ground Effect. So from the other podcasts, we know that we're looking at an ACA 4412 and a Dragonfly airfoil. And the reason why I really like Dragonfly fly airfoils is because they're effectively like imagine getting a piece of paper and then just scrunching it up in one direction and then bringing it out. That's what a Dragonfly airfoil sort of looks like, generally speaking. And compared to a regular airfoil, which is usually thicker, a Dragonfly airfoil is really just like a, a very thin sheet. But the way that they produce lift is by flapping and putting them in ground, and uh, uh, near the ground, you get a ground effect. So in the last podcast, we were looking at the drag coefficient and lift coefficient of the NACA 4412 and Dragonfly airfoils uh, when they're one chord above the height of the ground and how that was affecting the, um, these productions of lift and drag. Now we're going to continue and we pick up where we left off. So for both airfoils, the average drag coefficient and lift coefficients are shown in table four, and they say that the aerodynamic coefficients do not change significantly when the mean ground clearance changes from five chords from the ground to one chord. As we mentioned in the last podcast, it's really the ground effect is very localized. So you need to get very close to the ground in order for a flapping wing to get any changes, good or bad. As we mentioned, sometimes the ground effect is not actually positive for a flapping wing Whereas with um, a stationary wing, let's say for a fixed wing aircraft, when you're in ground effect, it's almost always positive in terms of lift, whereas that's not always the case for a flapping wing or a a different airfoil profile. But if the distance from the ground is equal to one quarter, the aerodynamic coefficients are greatly affected and the ground effect is very apparent. So for the NACA 4412 and Dragonfly airfoils, the drag and lift coefficients are compared at... Uh, five distances away from the ground, chords away from the ground, and one chord in Figure 13. And by changing the distance from five chords to one chord, the values of the average drag coefficient across the entire flapping motion go from minus 0.073 to minus 0.1212, and minus 0.057 to minus 0.07 for the NACA 4412 and dragonfly airfoils, respectively. So in other words, both airfoils they see a dramatic uh, reduction in drag, which means they get an increase in lift, uh, sorry, in thrust, sorry, not lift. Um, but interestingly, the drop that the NACA 4412 experiences is significantly greater than the Dragonfly airfoil. So they say the hysteresis loop of the drag coefficient is lower for the Dragonfly airfoil compared to the NACA 4412 airfoil at angle of attack less than zero degrees. So the hysteresis loop is when you uh, approach a certain condition from one um, direction, the resulting effect is not exactly the same as the other. If you approach it from a different direction, so in other words, if you increase angle of attack, you might get a lift coefficient of let's say one point one. When you reduce the angle of attack to the same angle though, but from the opposite direction, you might get a lift coefficient of one. So it's a ten percent difference or a nine point one nine, whatever it is, one nine one nine one nine percent difference. Uh, and they're saying here that for the Dragonfly Air below 0 degrees angle attack, there's not actually much of a hysteresis loop compared to the NACA 4412, which indicates that the Dragonfly Air Force provides greater thrust than the NACA 4412 Air Force in this regime. However, when the angle attack increases above 0 degrees, the drag coefficient hysteresis loop of the Dragonfly Air is higher than the, the NACA 4412. So in other words, it's very conditional. And I would also suggest that because it is so... Dependent on very small differences, that the accuracy of the research that we're doing now in dragonfly airfoils is not accurate enough to actually predict this very well. Because, as we've seen, minor changes such as just changing angle of attack by a couple of degrees significantly changes the uh, trends. So, moving on, the mean thrust coefficient of the NACA forty-four twelve airfoil is twenty-four point four percent higher than that of the dragonfly airfoil when the uh, when they're both five cords away from the ground, but if you move these airfoils to only one quarter away from the ground, the NACA 4412 mean thrust coefficient is 59% higher than the Dragonfly airfoil. So it seems like the Dragon, the um, NACA 4412 airfoil, when it's flapping, is similarly more affected by the ground effect than the Dragonfly airfoil. So is that a good thing for Dragonflies or not, if this is that accurate? Which, considering that these changes are very big, major, I would imagine that these these trends will hold in real life and that is probably a good thing for dragonflies because if you think that the dragonfly goes from being very close to the ground or the surface of the water or whatever and then it goes up only even one chord you don't want to get such a destabilization in the uh, air aerodynamic forces that you're producing you want those to be stay, stay fairly constant otherwise you have to change a lot of other things so by mitigating the ground effect it might actually be beneficial for the dragonfly's flight it can control itself much better and um, stay in control it's sort of like what's better um you know going i don't know if you were to walk and then suddenly run or any while you're holding something or just walking and then slowly accelerating to a run while you're holding something obviously when you're holding something you don't want it to fall out of your hand so you want it to be a gradual change that's kind of the same idea here so when Glan ground clearance alters from five quads away to one quad away from the ground. The average lift coefficient of the NACA 4412 airfoil and the Dragonfly airfoil augment from 0.339 to 0.4 and 0.08 to 0.095, respectively. So again, they both increase, but the NACA 4412 has a significantly greater increase, which again, I think it's because from an evolutionary point of view, you don't want... um, yourself, like the Dragonfly, to suddenly have a massive change in its inter- aerodynamic forces, which could destabilize it as you just move it slightly away from the ground, because the ground effect is so so sensitive and so delicate, um, the effects, when with the, um, the distance. So, the most effective ground clearance on the aerodynamic performance of both air Force is one quarter away from the ground, as it results in higher lift coefficients and lower drag coefficients than any other case. So let's look at the effects of the straw number. In the last podcast, I talked about the straw number briefly and this just um, ties the flapping to a non-dimensional number. So the greater the straw number, the faster the, the object is flapping. So in this particular case, at least. So the impact of the straw number on aerodynamic coefficients of the NACA 4412 and Dragonfly Air Force at different angle of attack, they've done that. And based on these figures, they can be concluded that the increase in the straw number, so greater flapping frequency, results in a decrease in the drag coefficient or augments thrust and an increase in the lift coefficient for both wings. So the for the Dragonfly airfoil, the, lift coefficient, the average lift coefficient increases from 0. 0.127 to 0.218 when the strong number goes from 0.26 to 0.6. So in other words, if you increase the strong number by a factor of three, the lift coefficient, the average lift coefficient for the Dragonfly airfoil increases by about... Uh, 40% so it's not a linear increase but it is the increase the drag coefficient drops from 0.039 to minus 0.2 so a massive reduction so in other words making the wings flap faster for a dragonfly greatly affects the drag compared to the average lift coefficient so As can be seen in figure 16, the lift and drag coefficients are compared at the numbers of 0.2 and 0.6 for the NACA 4412 and and Dragonfly airfoils. Let's look at figure 16. Let's go to that. There are quite a few figures in this paper and they'll look pretty good. Um, But figure 16 show, let me expand this window a little bit, show the drag coefficient for the different airfoils and the lift coefficients. Interestingly, as the, if the true number is very low, both airfoils don't have much of, they have a fairly linear uh, change in the drag and lift with angle attack. But as you increase the strong number, both of them become very non-linear. So if you have a strong number of 0.2, let's say, both the Dragonfly and NACA 4412 Air Force have um, a, a very linear slope. So they're about, if you were to go from 0 degrees to 10 degrees, the drag coefficient goes from 0 to minus minus zero point, what is that, zero? two maybe or zero five it's not very much and if you were to be at five degrees it'd be about half that but if you were to put the short number at 0.6 both airfoils at zero degrees have a drag coefficient of zero still but at 10 degrees they've now jumped up to about 0.5 or 0.6 then at five degrees it's only about 0.2 so it's massively non-linear why would that be it's because as you're flapping you're not only producing Uh, stronger vortices because you're flapping faster but you also can utilize these vortices because these vortices are now in still in the presence of the wing as you flap around whereas if you have a lower flapping frequency if you flap and you produce a vortex by the time you sweep back in that area the vortex has already moved away because you've taken too long to get to it so you can't really take advantage of the vortex so what that means is these curves really indicate um fairly um, linear lift and drag production because that's what mimics our real-life situation in general. Uh, in terms of how we, we produce lift as humans, we don't, well, traditionally, we haven't looked at flapping wings. We've always had stationary wings or rotating wings. And they produce lift and drag very predictably. Whereas when you have flapping wings, you get these nonlinearities due to changes in flow physics. And you're actually... Um, you're using these vortices to your benefit. And I've gone on about this in quite a few other podcasts, in flapping podcasts, for example, podcasts 14, 55, 56, and 57. I've gone on a lot about how um, flapping wings utilize vortices, and it's really cool. Let's move on here. The leading edge vortex starts moving towards the trailing edge vortex, to, towards the trailing edge, sorry, and separates the, from the air form. Simultaneously, as new leading edge vortices are generated, the flow is reattached, then the lift force is recovered. So this shows how uh, these vortices play a vital role in the flow over the wing. Therefore, this phenomenon will bring up many fluctuations in the lift plot. Again, why flapping faster will produce um, greater changes in the lift. When the airfall continues downstroke and the airfall and ground surface distance decrease, the low pressure zone surrounding the lower surface and of the airfall moves to the trailing edge and becomes weaker. Hence, the leading edge vortex is intensified to some extent as the airfoil approaches the end of the downstroke at um, half the period of the stroke. So exactly a little a bit of an instant before the end of the downstroke. Consequently, the airfoil's upper surface pressure is greatly re- decreased, forming a suction zone, the source of the positive lift development. So that's how ground effect can greatly increase the lift of a flapping wing. So you get an increase in the pressure underneath the wing and it drop in the pressure above the wing. So that's a two-fold benefit. This could be because wings, uh, to produce lift, you need a, uh, a pressure difference and ideally a difference in pressure, which is positive. Which, so the lower pressure is on top, high pressure underneath. That will produce the uh, lift force that you want. If you have the opposite, then that's downforce. So as a consequence of the ground effect, a greater pressure zone generated at the bottom surface of the airfoil acts like a trampoline. The leading edge vortex proceeds over the air force upper surface and begins to disengage from the airfoil tower when the airfoil reverses its motion and direction. A low pressure zone is again produced below the leading edge vortex to produce leading edge vortices. Then the vortex interacts with the ground, slowing leading edge vortex separation and improving the lift force increase. The obvious difference between the two geometries introduced at around number of 50,000 is the trapping of the airflow between the peaks and valleys of the pleated airfoil, so the dragonfly airfoil, and the creation of a very low velocity region, almost zero, which is the main benefit of bio airfoils over those of conventional airfoils. So, in other words, these I mentioned in other podcasts, in podcast number seventy-four and seventy-five, how this corrugated wing can help roughen the flow, roughen the surface, so it turbulates the flow, and it results in the boundary layer becoming more turbulent. But here they're also saying, which makes sense, that having these corrugations, these uh, peaks and valleys, it allows the wing to trap vortices more effectively, which means that you can take advantage of them to produce more lift and or thrust, which is really cool. Or in this case as well, potentially even mitigating the ground uh, effect. So the next point, on, in the figure of the speed contour, so just um, some figures that they had, is a lower speed gradient in the Dragonfly Air compared to the NACA 4412 Air Force, leading to the formation of the vortices on the leading edge and trailing edges with a greater distance from each other on the Dragonfly Air compared to the NACA 4412 Air So in other words, um, just at these lower speeds, the vortices that are formed over the Dragonfly Air the two main ones on the leading edge and trailing edge, they're further apart on the Dragonfly Air than the NACA 4412 Air So they say this helps to increase the speed of the rotation of the airfoil of the Dragonfly 1. So because um, these two vortices are further apart, so the airfoil can sweep back easier, they're saying. However, due to the high high flow momentum and the thickness of the Dragonfly airfoil at 50,000 Reynolds number, the lift force of the Dragonfly airfoil is less than that of the cambered airfoil of the NACA 4412 airfoil. So that makes sense because Dragonfly airfoils are very thin, whereas NACA 4412s are fairly thick and they're already cambered. So they're going to naturally produce more lift when, when um, in most conditions. When you flap, though, under certain conditions, the Dragonfly airfoil will probably produce more lift and less drag, but also be more stable as seen here. So the effect of the Reynolds number on aerodynamic performance, we've looked at the flapping frequency. Now let's look at the Reynolds number because obviously they fly at different speeds. So for the NACA 4412 and Dragonfly airfoils, the lift and drag coefficients are compared, sorry, the lift to drag coefficient ratio is compared at random numbers of 50,000 and 5,000. So at 50,000, the values of the lift to drag ratio decrease from 10.31 to 2.1 for the NACA 4412 airfoil, so a horrendous drop. But for the Dragonfly airfoil, it drops from 3.22 to 1.8. So to begin with, the lift-to-drag ratio of the NACA forty-four twelve airfoil was a lot better. It was three times the the amount for uh, at around fifty thousand. When it drops to five thousand, now the Dragonfly airfoil and NACA forty-four twelve airfoil lift-to-drag ratios are comparable, twelve point one compared to one point eight, with the Dragonfly airfoil being lower. And when the straw number, and this is also when you alter the straw number from zero point two to zero point six, so the efficiency difference between the two airfoils at True numbers of 0.2, 0.4, and 0.6 are approximately 211%, 64%, and 94%. So interestingly, it's not it's not a linear uh, decrease. It's um, there's it a dip, so when it's, the wings are flapping very slowly, the NACA 4412 has a efficiency of 211% greater, but then when it goes to medium uh, flapping uh, frequency, 64% and then when it goes to fast flapping then it's up to 94% so there's this non-linearity and this indicates that the lift to drag ratio difference decreases substan- substantially with increasing frequency but not, not um, monotonically. As a result, the lift to drag ratio of the NACA 4412 airfoil is better than that of the Dragonfly airfoil especially at uh, straw numbers of 0.2 so very slow flapping which makes sense because dragonflies do flap, whereas NACA 4412 airfoils were not designed for flapping flight. So for Reynolds numbers of 5000, it was found that the dragonfly airfoil was better, had a better drag ratio in all frequencies than the NACA 4412 airfoil, which is pretty wild because all we've done is dropped the Reynolds number by a factor of 10. And now, miraculously, the dragonfly airfoil is far better in terms of its performance. They say actual numbers of 0.4. Both Air Force exhibited maximum area number performance. So that's the juicy point, the optimum point. So now, this next part, they talk about figure 19. I'm going to go to figure 19 because there are a lot of cool graphs here. And I'm going to read to you it uh, while we're looking at figure 19 so that you can keep an eye on it and it'll be more interesting for you. So we have figure 19 in, in um, view here. If you're just listening to this, On YouTube, we do have the video and also on Spotify, we also do have the video now as well. Take a look at the video as well if you want to see these graphs. So let's continue. In figure 19, the airfoil begins to rotate counterclockwise, and as the airfoil advances towards the ground, the low-pressure zone formed underneath the airfoil starts to weaken. So in figure 19, you can see both the NACA 4412 and the Dragonfly one. The Dragonfly one is on the top. And you can see it's just like this little squiggle part whereas the NACA 4412 has a much more... um, Conventional airfoil shape that we're familiar with, and as it as it then come back up. So um, time equals t on two and five t on eight is where the dragonfly sorry actually t on two alone is where it's closest to the ground, and going from left to right is where it um, is flapping down, and in the second half, the bottom row, is where it's flapping back up. So accordingly, the vortex created at the ground surface is shrunk, and the separated vortices from the trailing edge move upwards as the low pressure area under the airfall is weakened, at a time of Uh, T on T equals 5 on 8. So in other words, it's already flapped and now it's pulling back up. At the end of the downstroke, two low-pressure zones are strengthened on the leading and trailing edges. As flapping flapping proceeded, changing the clockwise rotation of the airfoil trailing edge, vortex separated. By moving away from the ground surface, a vortex is formed under the airfoil and the high-pressure zone on the upper surface airfoil is weakened. The cushioning effect is a momentary rise, results in a momentary rise in lift and drop and drag, induced by air compression between the airfoil and the surface below while flying near the ground or water. The rising pressure on the airfoil's bottom surface increases the lift coefficient. Along with the cushioning effect, the delayed stall mechanism created by a leading edge vortex that results in a low pressure zone on the airfoil's top surface. So let me explain this. This is really cool. we see in a lot of dynamic wings. When you flap a wing, often you'll get something called a leading edge vortex. So at the leading edge, you get a vortex forming as you'd you'd expect. Now, (laughs) this vortex will often go, if you flap it properly, will often go over the suction surface. So it will will be just behind the leading edge. What this does is it creates this low pressure zone because vortices are low pressure cores. And this low pressure means that the flow gets sucked to the surface very well. And that means you can push it to high angles of attack while still uh, keeping the flow attached because of that low pressure is sucking the flow to it. And that's what they're talking about here. So a counterclockwise trailing edge vortex is also made close to the airfoil trailing edge. The increased lift coefficient found in the near ground situation is due to the leading edge com- combined with the cushioning effect. So the flow made by the air Force produces shear layers at the ground. And this is quite interesting because I was actually talking with uh, one of our amigos at Orlando Tillett about shear layers just the other day. So it's quite funny. It's coming up now and we'll talk about how, what this means. Actually, I should just say now, a shear layer is just when you have two flows of different velocities or just, uh, it could be different densities or whatever of, of different uh, parameters going past each other. And that creates something called a shear layer where one fluid is um, interacting with the other fluid. And then there's this um, like effect where effectively viscosity effect where they rip rip each other a little bit. And that's called a shear layer. And this is often, um, it's often bad. For example, it can produce noise because you have two different um, velocities or two different densities or whatever interacting with each other. It's not uniform. But uh, for this case, let's talk about it. So as the airfoil begins to pitch up, the leading edge and trailing edge vortices of the airfoil are shed, leading to a lift loss, sorry, a lift, um, a loss in lift. Sorry, this wording is a little bit tricky sometimes. At um, T on T equals half, so when it's completed the flapping down and it's close to the surface, the airfoil interacts with and destroys the ground shear layer. The lift coefficient becomes minimal due to the strong leading edge vortex generated beneath the airfoil and zero angles of attack so because you're flapping down the dragonfly wing and the NACA 4412 12 wings are having um, zero degree angle of attack and they say the airfoil begins its upstroke at t on t equals five on eight and the lift on drag so the lift gradually increases due to the coarse velocity of the jet made by the shedding leading edge and trailing edge vortices the leading edge vortex shed at the end of the downstroke collides with the ground Forming a new rebound vortex, the shift in the effective angle attack of the airfoil caused by the flow due to the counter, so the clockwise rebound vortex, is a significant detection in the study. Whenever the airfoil is on its downstroke, the circulation of the rebound vortex to the surrounding fluid affects the angle attack of the airfoil. Depending on the size and strength of the counter of the clockwise rebound vortex the air force vertical force can increase or decrease. So that's probably due to the flapping frequency and Reynolds number and distance away from the ground. So it shows just how dependent the ground effect is on all these different parameters. And trying to dampen these things would be a good thing. As illustrated in figure 20, so let's move to figure 20 now. We got some other cool figures. On the left, we have uh, the NACA 4412 and Dragonfly air force on the downstroke. On the right, it's on the upstroke. And it's colored with the turbulent kinetic energy which as you'd expect, it's the kinetic energy, the kinematic energy, sorry, uh, in the turbulent regime. So, the Dragonfly Air Force creates concentrated and strong vortices than the Nacrophonial Torv Air Force due to its passive flow control. However, that, that's, ex- that's uh, referring to the corrugated part, the um, crinkle cup bit. However, because of the high velocity of the far-field flow, the trapped eddy in the corrugation cannot hold the vortices near the surface of the airfoil. As a result, a decrease in the dragonfly-inspired airfoil performance is observed at high Reynolds numbers. I'm guessing that's also to do with um, the flapping frequency. If you were to push the flapping frequency higher, you should be able to capture those vortices. The main reason why I think that these vortices are not captured at high Reynolds numbers is because they move away too quickly for the airfoil to capture properly because the flow is moving faster. But if you were to flap faster, I think you'd be able to capture that a bit better. So. As turbulent vortices rapidly separate from the Dragonfly Air Force surface, the ability to increase momentum and flow around the Air Force is lost, indicating the reason for significant fluctuations in the diagram of the aerodynamic coefficients of the Dragonfly Air Force. According to Figure 20, this incredible two-dimensional complexity evolves in the boundary layer. Thus, this is the boundary layer that flows over the flat or smooth part of the NACA 4412 and Dragonfly Air Force. The developing and thickening of the layer at the trailing edge and faster upper flow with slower lower flow created a von Kármán street. That's really cool. They said as in figure tw- uh, 19. So, this is where we're talking about having two different flows of different speeds and then they interact with each other. There's this shearing effect and this creates a von Kármán street, which is really cool. You don't often, s- or sometimes you see it, but it's often associated with bluff bodies. Airfoils are not bluff bodies, they're streamlined bodies. So, by having a um, or chemistry forming over this due to differences in velocity is really cool. So that was those figures and what I wanted to talk about. Let's move on to the next section now. So finally, in conclusion, the results indicated that a direct relationship between the lift-to-drag the ratio of the airfoil and the ground effect uh, occur and at Reynolds numbers of 50,000 by increasing the straw number from 0.2 to 0.6, so increasing the flapping frequency, the... Values of the lift to drag ratio decreased from 10.34 to 2.1 and 3.22 to 1.8 for the NACA 4412 and Dragonfly airfoils, respectively. This drop was greatly, was dramatically more for the NACA 4412 than Dragonfly airfoils. So, what does this mean? It means the Dragonfly airfoils are a bit less sensitive to changes in flapping frequency. They've dampened this uh, negative effect. As a result, the lift to drag ratio of the NACA 4412 airfoil was better than that of the Dragonfly airfoil, especially at low oscillation frequencies. The results of the Reynolds number of 5000 show that the Dragonfly airfoil had better lift to drag (laughs) ratios in all frequencies compared to the NACA 4412 airfoil. So, again, it depends on the regime that you're flying in. Finally, the NACA 4412 airfoil has a better lift coefficient than the Dragonfly airfoil at Reynolds numbers of 5000 and 50,000. However, the aerodynamic performance of the Dragonfly airfoil is much better at 35,000 due to its low drag coefficient. So that's in this podcast. Make sure to like, subscribe. And if you're doing experiments like this or any other experiments, or you're doing CFT that needs uh, experimental data to validate it, make sure you measure the density of the air that you're using. The reason why is because it changes from day to day. And even through the day, on average, on a regular day, this density will change by about 2 to 4% that means that that error is creeping through in the rest of your results, including the Reynolds number and the velocity of your wind tunnel and everything. So to overcome that, we make an instrument called the atmosphere hawk. It actually measures the density for you, and it gets rid of that error for you. And it has the values printed on a large screen for you, or so you can read it directly, or you can put it into your computer directly, and factor that into your wind tunnel, and you can get rid of that error in real time. So when you get your data, you don't need to post-process it and get rid of the error podcast number 54 i go through how this affects your results and how it introduces error both the forces and flow physics check that out and the atmosphere hawk is linked in the description make sure to get one for yourself and peace out amigos